With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, Every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. The 2021 MLB season is here, and although the seats may not be full, your bankroll has the chance to be. Ray Hoops Peterson has you covered for every game, every day this season, along with comprehensive analysis and angles for getting to the window while celebrating the walk-off winners and blown saves of what will be a wild season. Now it is time for the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson. A warm and friendly hello. Welcome to Lovey Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. Got a great podcast for you. It's in the second segment. We go out to the great state of New York. That's where we find Alex Fass. He does great work as the VP of Pitcher List. We're going to be talking with him. Just what we've noticed in general with the dominance of pitchers this year, the rise in no-hitters, and how a lot of these guys are doing such a better job of command than prior years. I think that a big reason for this is the approach that many guys might have taken to the plate, but we're going to be talking about that. Some of the marquee guys, they're going to be taking the mound on Wednesday, including one guy that's giving up a whole bunch of our contact, and that'll be a part of the New York Post play for this wonderful Wednesday, which I'll be giving out in the final segment when I give you guys a signed total on every game on the betting board as we touch them all. First things first, I love to be able to answer your Twitter questions on this podcast. If you've got one of two ways to be able to fire those in. First one is my Twitter time. Timeline at GRNSCORTY1. Keep in mind the letters EM. They mean does not matter, so always send those into the Twitter timeline. Other ways, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. Then from there, you're able to send your questions, comments, segment ideas, what have you. Did not wind up getting in any Twitter questions today, but we did have a very fun day of baseball on Tuesday. So let's take a look back at it. Try to find some trends and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. Games from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. The Philadelphia Phillies win a game over the Miami Marlins without getting a 
single man in scoring position. 2-0 the final is one for the Phillies. They were able to get a Reese Hoskins two-run homer in the fourth inning off of Sandy Alcantara to be able to get the win for Hoskins. It's 10th homer on the season, but it is second in the last 28 days for Alcantara. Pretty solid in this one. He gives up that home run over the course of eight innings. Only gave up two hits in total, so he was able to do a good job. And then Ross Tightweiler was able to come in. He was able to close things out in the ninth, but for the Miami Marlins, they leave six men on base. They go 0-3 with men in scoring position. Vince Velasquez, who had an ERA north of a 6-5 in his career against the Miami Marlins prior to the start. He looked tremendous. He winds up going six innings. Does give up three hits and three walks, but was able to evade danger. From there, Hector Neris was able to get the save. Jose Alvarado, Sam Coonrod able to give you scoreless innings as well. For the Philadelphia Phillies, by the way. A team that has been a vastly different home to road. Big win for them as at home so far this year. They have been relatively solid with a 15-10 record. Now 9-15 on the road. The New York Mets are now 12-5 at home. They wind up taking down the Colorado Rockies by a count of 3-1. Jacob deGrom makes his first start in about two weeks. He looked really solid in this one, but you could tell that the Mets were very much easing him back into it. Winds up throwing 63 pitches in total, five innings. He does give up a solo run going deep for the Colorado Rockies. Ryan McMahon is 13th of the season, but then bullpen of the Mets, which has been very solid, they do their job. Miguel Castro was able to give you two scoreless setting. Trevor May, along with Edwin Diaz, able to give you scoreless settings to be able to close it up. And for the Mets, Thomas Nito was able to go deep off of one Chichi Gonzalez for a third home run the season for the Colorado Rockies. Kyle Freeland made his first start of the season. Not bad, not great. It does wind up giving up three walks and four hits over the course of four innings, but only one run given up. Chichi Gonzalez gives up that home run to Nito. Two and a third innings gives up two runs. From there, you wind up having Robert Stevenson give you a score of saying Tyler Kinley was able to get the team out of the seventh inning, but for the Mets, they were able to get their 12th home win of the season for the Rockies. Now 3-18 and in road games. Yeah, that's the worst mark out there in the big leagues. A team that has also been vastly different home to road is the Cincinnati Reds, but they were able to get a road win on Tuesday against the Washington Nationals by a count of 2-1 for the Reds. A pair of solo home runs were able to do it for them. Kyle Farmer, third home run of the season. Eugenio Suarez, his 10th as those both come off of Max Scherzer. For Scherzer was still very solid in this one. Gives up the two solo home runs over the course of seven innings. Wander, I swear, this guy sucks well. He did not suck in this one. He does give a scoreless setting, and then Sam Clay was able to give you a scoreless setting as well. But for the Washington Nationals, four total hits. Tyler Molly, he was terrific in this one. Five and a third innings, scoreless from there. TJ Antone, two and a third innings out of the bullpen. He was able to deliver those scoreless. Amir Garrett does wind up giving up a run out of the bullpen. Now it's at 724 ERA. It's not been going well from Lucas Sims. He was able to get the save, though, and for the Cincinnati Reds, Team that has been a little bit different home to road. A big win for them as now they sit with a road record so far this year at 10 and 12. The Brewers have not necessarily been so good at home. Actually have a winning record on the road and now a losing record at home. They wind up falling to the San Diego Padres by kind of 7-1 and for the Padres, no home runs in this one, but they were able to get a whole bunch of stolen bases as I believe that you wind up having six different players Get a stolen base, and for Corbin Burns, it certainly was his worst start of the year. Gives up four runs over the course of six innings. Three walks in this one, as I believe that coming into this contest, he had a grand total of two all season long. And then from there, Eric Yardley gives up two runs out of the bullpen in an inning. And Josh Lindblom, former KBO MVP, gives up one run over the course of two innings. Certainly has not been a good run of it for him for the Milwaukee Brewers. Lone run in the game, solo run off the bat of Travis Shaw, sixth of the campaign. As for the Padres, Joe Musgrove didn't necessarily lend a lot of length, but he goes four and two-thirds innings scoreless. The Padres, which has used their bullpen for the most innings of any team out there in the National League, but has the best bullpen ERA, they were once again terrific. Stammen, 
winds up giving up a home run over the course of two innings, but then Tim Hill was able to give you four outs. Emilio Pagan give you a scoreless inning as well. So the Padres able to continue their winning ways. Speaking of being able to continue their winning ways, anyone playing against the Baltimore Orioles as they have now lost eight straight games, they wind up falling to the Minnesota Twins by a count of 7-4 for the Baltimore Orioles. They were able to get a little bit of offense going as DJ Stewart was able to turn it up for his fourth home run of the season. That comes off of Alex Galmay. He's had a terrible year, but who's had a worse year? Dean Kremer. He's now 0-5, gives up five runs over the course of four innings, including home run. Going deep off of him was Mr. Ore Palunco. That was his fourth home run of the season. Then from there, Adam Pluko was able to give you a scoreless setting. And then you also got a home run off of Rob Revsnyder, his second home run of the season. He winds up being able to take Keegan Aiken deep, who winds up going three innings, giving up two runs in the process. And for the Minnesota Twins, you did have Colome giving up that home run in two outs of relief. But Jose Barrios, he winds up giving up three runs, only one of which was earned though over the course of five and two-thirds innings you had Rev Snyder along with Andrelton Simmons both committing an error but Enzo Robles along with Taylor Rogers both to give you a combined two and a third scoreless innings Caleb Theobar able to hold it down from there and for the Minnesota Twins they're a team that in games that wrap up in regulation is right around 500 I believe that they're 10 games below 500 in either seven inning doubleheaders or games that go to extras in general so that is something intriguing the Chicago White Sox were able to hand Captain Jack Flaherty, his first loss of the season. 8-3 to three the final. For Flaherty, he was not out by the fielding at all. Three and two-thirds innings. He gives up seven runs, but only three of which were earned, including home run. Nolan Arenado, Imundo Sosa, along Tommy Edmond, all committing errors out there in the field for the White Sox. Jose Abadeu winds up being able to take Flaherty deep. His 10th of the season, he had four RBI in this one. And for Lucas Giolito, he is looking a little bit better right now. Gives up two runs, one of which was earned over the course of six innings. Cody here gives up a run in an inning out of the bullpen. And then from there, Evan Marshall, along with Liam Hendricks, were both able to give you scoreless innings. And Garrett Crochet winds up coming out. He didn't wind up getting any odds, but he doesn't wind up giving up any runs. Just did not wind up having it on this side. As for the St. Louis Cardinals, bullpen wasn't too bad. You got two and two-thirds scoreless innings out of Junior Fernandez. And then you wind up having Tyler Webb going one and two-thirds innings. He winds up giving up a run in the process and for the Cardinals, 3 of 15 with men in scoring position. That has been a little bit of a bugaboo for them. The Angels have been a bugaboo all season, but they were able to get things right against the Texas Rangers by count of 11 to 5. You wind up having Shohei Otani get his 15th home run of the season. He and Adolius Garcia actually both got their 15th home runs of the season in this one. As being able to supply the home run for Mr. Shohei Otani, that would be Brett Geis. He winds up coming out of the bullpen after Hunjong Yang, the former KBO All-Star, winds up not having it in this one. Three and a third innings gives up seven runs, all of which weren't, including two home runs. Going deep off of him for the Angels, Mr. Justin Upton, his ninth home run of the season, and then Jared Walsh is able to get his 11th for the Rangers. Say, guys, winds up giving up four runs and one and two-thirds innings, and then you wind up having Brett Martin give you a scoreless inning, and Demarcus Evans was able to give you two scoreless, and for the Texas Rangers, they wind up going just one of seven with Ben in squaring position. Andrew Heaney wound up serving that home run up to Adolius Garcia, five and two-thirds innings. He gives up three runs, and then the bullpen, which has been much maligned for the Angels so far this year. Three and a third innings scoreless out of Hunter Strickland, Alex Claudio, along there and Sluggers. So, the Angels, a team that has been falling on some tough times, entered into this one. Losers of seven out of their last nine. They're able to get it done. The the Dodgers are able to get it done in a rematch of the 2017 World Series. 9-2, the final Clayton Kershaw gives up one run over the course of seven and two-thirds innings. That was a solo home run that was supplied to Mr. Alex Bregman in sixth of the season. As for Zach Greinke, not necessarily his best start in this one. Gives up four runs over the course of six innings, including a home run. Going deep for the Dodgers off of him. 
Justin Turner down for what his eighth home run the season. Dodgers do go just one of eight with men in scoring position, but they were able to get a bunch of men on base. Inoli Paredes winds up giving up three runs in an inning. You wind up having Josh Smith giving up a run while being able to record two outs. Andre Scrub, he gets four outs, but he gives up a run as well and for the Houston Astros. 0-4 with men in scoring position. Bullpen of the Dodgers was pretty solid in this one. Phil Bickford gives up an unearned run. Joe Kelly was able to give the team an out, and he did not wind up making any pouty faces, unlike last year as well. So there was that. The Seattle Mariners were making a pouty face at the Oakland A's as they were able to take them down by a count of 4-3. to three. For the Seattle Mariners, they go 4-13 with men in scoring position, and Logan Gilbert, who wound up having his first two starts of his major league career not be so good, he was solid in this one. He gives up two runs over the course of four innings from their Paul Seawald, two squirrel signings on the bullpen. Anthony Machevich was able to give you two outs on the bullpen. Rafael Montero was able to get his sixth save of the season, and JT Jargois gets four outs, winds up giving up a run in the process, and for the Oakland A's, they were able to get a little bit of hard contact in this one with a quadrant of doubles, but just two of down with men in scoring position. Cole Irvin did not wind up having it in this one. Four and two-thirds innings. He gives up four runs, all of which were earned across tenets. From there, Birch Smith was able to give you one in the third inning scoreless. You wind up having Raymond Goudin, Sumergio Romo, and Lou Trevino all give you scoreless innings, but for the Oakland A's, they have been a little bit different home to road, and I think that we want to be monitoring the Oakland A's at this point because they're a team that they right now lead the AL West, but they've got a negative 14 run differential as well, so there might be a little bit of regression coming in there. Regression wound up setting in in early May for the Kansas City Royals, but they seem to be getting back on track. 2-1. to one. They wind up taking down the Tampa Bay Rays as Brad Keller, who's had a really rough year so far this year. He was selling this one. Gives up one run over the course of seven innings. From there, you wind up having Jake Brents along Kyle Zimmer. Give you two scoreless seconds out of the bullpen and for the Royals. Carlos Centeno was able to get his 10th home run the season. He looked very solid in this one as he now has an on-base percentage right around a 393 for the Tampa Bay Rays. Rich Hill, a really good start in this one. Tough luck loser as he gets 13 strikeouts across 8 innings. Gives up 2 runs. Gives up that home run. Pete Fairbanks, a scoreless setting of his own. And for the Tampa Bay Rays, 1-2 with men in scoring position, so they just weren't able to get too many guys on in general. And for the Rays, that snaps a streak in which they had won 8 out of their last 9 games. A team that has been doing a good job will be able to take down their opponent in recent years. That would be the Cleveland Indians. I believe that they have now won 20 out of their last 24 games against the Detroit Tigers. 4-1 to one the final for the Indians. Aaron Savali terrific in this one. Gives up one run over the course of 8 innings and then you wind up having James Karinczak coming in for the save. For the Cleveland Indians they were without Framel Reyes in this one but Jordan Lupfel able to supply some boom. He gets his 7th home run of the season. That comes off of Kyle Funkhauser and then Cesar Hernandez gets his 6th home run of the season. That comes off of starter Tariq Skubo. Wasn't terrible in this one. He certainly has done worse. Gets 9 strikeouts. Gives up that home run. 2 runs in total over the course of 5 innings. Kyle Funk gives up two runs and two and a third innings for a Tigers team that right now is the worst bullpen ERA up there in the big leagues. Derek Allen with his squirrel setting winds up lowering his ERA to an 1170 and then Tyler Alexander was able to give you a pair of outs as well, but for the Detroit Tigers, an offense that has been very much less than seller, one of seven with men in scoring position. So they continue that. The Atlanta Braves continue to be able to pile up the wins. They are back at 500 for, I believe, the first time since they were 0 0. They've not been above 500 all year long. They're going to be trying to snap that today as they wind up taking down the Boston Red Sox by a count of 3 to 1. For the Atlanta Braves, they go just 2 of 9 with men in scoring position, leaving 10 men on base, but 
Charlie Morton, he was terrific in this one. One unearned run over the course of seven innings. From there, you wind up getting Will Smith along with Edgar Santana to give you scoreless things out of the bullpen for a Boston Red Sox team that they rank in the top five in pretty much every offensive category. 0-5 with men in scoring position and for Garrett Richards. Gives up three runs over the course of five and two-thirds innings. Hawakazu Saromura was able to give you one and third innings scoreless. Garrett Woodlock, two scoreless as well, but for the Atlanta Braves, just enough contact to be able to get the job done. The Toronto, a.k.a. Dunedin, a.k.a. Buffalo Blue Jays. They were able to get it done out there in the AL East as well. They go into New York and they get a 6-2 win for the Blue Jays. They were able to get a trio of home runs. Laguerro Jr. now leads the league with 16 home runs. That comes off of Corey Kluber. And then you have Michael King. Several now up to Lords Gariel's fourth of the season. Then Justin Wilson gives up the ninth home run of the season to Randall Gritchick as Steven Matz. A man that knows a little bit of something about pitching in New York as he used to be with the Mets. Six and two-thirds innings. Ten strikeouts. Gives up just one run. Tyler Chatwood, Jordan Romano, they clean up the final seven outs from there. And for Mr. Kluber, a man that wanted throwing an no-hitter about two weeks ago, gives up two runs over the course of three innings. So he just was not long for this game in general. From there, Michael King, he winds up giving you some good long relief. Does wind up giving up six hits in three innings, but only gives up that solo run. Lucas Lutish, a scoreless setting. Luis Sessa, a scoreless setting. And then Wilson gives up a solo run of his own. And for the Yankees, just not a lot doing on offense. Seven men left on base. You wind up having not a lot of offense out there from the Arizona Diamondbacks as well. They get shut out by the San Francisco Giants by a count of 8-0 for the Giants. Kevin Gosman, and we're going to be talking about him a little bit later with Alex Fast continuing to be absolutely terrific. Five scoreless settings. He wound up jacking up his pitch count, but the bullpen was able to do their job from there. Sam Selman was able to give you a scoreless setting along with Jose Alvarez and then Jarlin Garcia. Two scoreless innings of his own for the San Francisco Giants. One long ball in this one, and that was Evan Longoria. Three-run shot off of one Colbin Martin for his sixth home run in the season for Martin. Goes four innings, gives up six runs, all of which were earned. You wind up having Riley Smith come in in long relief, gives up one run over the course of three innings. And then Kevin Ginkle gives up one run over the course of two innings for an Arizona Diamondbacks team that actually has the worst bullpen ERA over the last 30 days in Major League Baseball. Not necessarily too bad, but for the Arizona Diamondbacks, they wound up going 0 of 9 with men in scoring position in the first seven innings of the game. So they were getting hits as they had nine in this one. They just weren't able to generate anything. The Pirates weren't able to generate much of anything either. They wind up losing to the Chicago Cubs by a count of 4 to 3. A Cubs team that they have been one of the worst teams on the road so far this year at home. They are 16 and 9 on the road. They are now 9 and 13, but they were able to get a pair of home runs off the bat of Jock Peterson to be able to get this W. Both of those come off of Mr. Cody Ponce for his third and fourth home runs of the season. For Ponce, he winds up going five innings, giving up all four runs, including the two home runs. From there, Clay Holmes, Jason Shreve, Richard Rodriguez, I'll give you scoreless settings, and then Sam Howard along David Bernard were able to give you a combined scoreless setting, but for the Pirates, two of down with men in scoring position for the Cubs. They were able to get a solid performance out of Jake Arrieta. Does give up three runs, while only two of which were earned over the course of five innings, as his own error was the reason why he wind up having the unearned run. I cannot stress so enough how much it drives me crazy that pitchers get credited for an unearned run on their own error. That's beside the point, though, but Ryan Tapera, Craig Kimbrell, both give you a scoreless setting. Andrew Chafin was able to come in. He gave you a scoreless setting. And then Keegan Thompson, one and two-thirds innings. He was able to hold down the fort for this team as well. So you wind up seeing a lot from Major League Baseball on Wednesday. And we are taking a look at some of the trends that we're seeing in Major League Baseball in general. Saw a couple more unders yesterday, but by and large, you take a look for the season. Overs have actually overtaken unders, for lack of a better term. 
348 overs to 341 unders and favorites. Starting to do a little bit better. 397 and 311. That is a 56.1 percent clip. And if you're looking over the last 30 days, favorites 56 and 35. That is 61 and a half percent that they're hitting at overs 48 and 41. And if you want to go last 30 days as well. Favorites, 233 and 161, so that's a 59.1 percent clip in overs, 205 and 180. So that's what we all saw for Major League Baseball on Tuesday and overall. And now let's get a look at just why pitchers have been so gosh darn dominant this year, what is causing all these no-hitters, and a couple pitchers that we want to be watching for here on Wednesday. Alex Fass, the pitcher list, is going to be giving us that and so much more right here on the Baseball Betting Podcast on the other side with myself, Doug Peterson. Greg is calling in a pinch hitter from the Overtime Network Hotline. And we're back here in Lovey Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. It is great to be joined by our guest today as this is a man that is the vice president of PitcherList. He does a great job when it comes to some work with MLB.com, ESPN. You've seen him on MLB Network. list goes on and on. And this man is a Baltimore Orioles fan. So you know that this is a gentleman that he certainly is very strong and has a lot of fortitude as it is Alex Fast joining me on the podcast. You're able to follow him on Twitter at Alex Fast and then the number eight and Alex Great to have you aboard. Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I think that was the perfect introduction because people should know that if I still love baseball this much and I'm an Orioles fan, then I I guess I'm pretty addicted. Oh, absolutely. And we are all addicted to just watching baseball in general. What we've noticed this year is that just runs in general are down. We've seen the rise in no hitters and some surprising guys. Obviously, I'm sure that you were satisfied that John Means a few weeks ago was able to get his. He's had an absolutely tremendous year for the Baltimore Orioles, but guys like Corey Kluber being able to throw one, Wade Miley, what do you attribute this to? Because something that I've noticed is that it seems like the guys are having the most success when it comes to Major League Baseball this year with regards to the starting pitchers. It's some of these guys that they're in like their early 30s. They've sort of been there, done that, not necessarily lit the world on fire, but at the same time, done enough to be able to hang around the league. And now they're really having their surge. You know, it's unfair to me to kind of lump in all the no hitters and say, oh, this is the reason why they're happening because each, each pitcher is going to be a little bit different. You know, a guy like Spencer Turnbull, he's going to be able to have a little bit more success with this new slider cut combination that he's got going, finally amping up that slider usage to about 25%, which we've never really seen from him. John Means, of course, going in with what is one of the better change-ups in all of baseball right now. And then, of course, there's Wade Miley, who, you know, like I said, not all no-hitters are created equal, and I don't want to take away from Wade Miley. He did a fantastic job in that no-hitter. But his, you know, you can look at the next start against Colorado to see, you know, how how real that no-hitter might have been. But I will say, getting back to your original point about offense, I mean, yeah, it doesn't take a long look at the stats to see that offense is definitely down. Batting average and WOBA are both the lowest that they have been uh, in the past five years, right? And I'm not looking uh, at total seasons too. I'm trying to account for weather to the best of my ability, right? By taking a look at, okay, what was the league average WOBA and the league average batting average between the start of the season and May 25th or May 24th, as it were, since there are no games yet today. And it's still at a five-year low. And that could be for a bunch of different reasons. I'm not going to necessarily say weather. That might be a contributing factor to why home runs are so low but when it comes to batting average it could be the ball I, I really don't think it's you know pitchers being more dominant than they ever have before I think that's a part of the case but yeah to me I think this new ball might be a pretty big factor although it's really tough to equate 
And I think that just the way that batters prepare in general is a little bit different as well, because I know that you want to tweeting this out on Tuesday that 26.4% of all pitches this year have gone over the heart of the plate, which is the highest rate in the StatCast history. I think that more guys are realizing, all right, if I just get the ball over the plate, there are so many guys that they're just looking at their launch angle. They're trying to hit it out rather than just looking to get on base. I feel like pitchers in general are just feeling a little bit more secure about throwing the ball over the plate, knowing that, hey, there's more guys that are swinging and missing right now. If I just wind up locating well, I don't need to wind up. I don't need to issue as many walks. I can just get these guys out right away. Yeah, it's a great point. I mean, I have you to thank for that tweet because you really got me thinking. But to be fair, it was also something that I was thinking about a couple of weeks ago when I wrote a piece about Gavin Gaussman, who's really having a lot of success this way. And I want to talk about him because he serves to be a microcosm for the league in terms of how they're having success over the heart of the plate. One of the ways in which guys have been having success in the past couple of years is, you know, what Nick Pollock, the founder and CEO of PitcherList, calls the Blake Snell blueprint. You're going to elevate with your four seamers. You're going to drop your breaking pitches down on the dirt. And what's been happening a little bit more recently is guys have been attacking the heart of the plate as opposed to elevating with their four seamers and then dropping pitches even lower in the dirt, right? For Kevin Gassman in particular, it's that four seam splitter combination that's been so incredibly deadly for him and he doesn't really need all that much more else. He can just attack the plate with 95, 96 mile an hour four seamers. I think he sits about 94, 95 overall and then put splitters at the knees and the way that those two pitches tunnel with one another, it makes him incredibly effective. So I don't know if it's something where hitters are going to have to start adjusting their swings a little bit more. If we're going to see the ebb and flow of the game kind of work its magic but yeah as of right now pitchers are just having a lot of success over that part of the plate yeah we've noticed that walk rates are just down in major league baseball in general as we do have alex fast joining me on the podcast and alex when i take a look at the landscape of major league baseball as well it goes no further than what we're seeing with some of the guys that are going to be going out there on wednesday the guys that are getting hit it seems like they are getting hit hard because it seems like the percentage of hits that wind up going for home runs, they're a little bit higher. I know that a guy that is going to be going on the bump on Wednesday, Drew Smiley, he right now is tied for the league lead in a home runs issued at 11 over the course of 37 innings. And I think that this is a case in which if you wind up just giving up a little bit too much contact in general, it is going to go a long ways because I know that in the past, Justin Verlander, Garrett Cole, these guys that are not giving up a whole bunch of hits per nine innings, they've got very good ERAs. They're doing a very solid job, but it feels like nearly a third of the pitches that they wind up having hit, they wind up going over the fence. And that's something that I've noticed as well. Just home run rates with regards to percentage of hits seems to be going up, but the contact rate in general is just way down as compared to past years. Yeah, look no further than actual John Means start a couple nights ago against the Minnesota Twins, where I believe the two earned runs that he gave up were both off of long balls. And I believe they were like the only hits that he had given up to that point as well. So you're right. It's kind of this, it encapsulates this sort of feast or famine approach that we've been seeing in the sport. And I will say too, that when you do see guys, because offense is down, when you see guys who are getting hit really hard, it does give you pause, right? It makes you a little, be a little bit more concerned. And Drew Smiley is a perfect example. He didn't give up a single home run off his four seamer. Uh, in 2020 and this year he's already given up five guys are attacking a lot more in that fastball than they ever have before they have a 53 percent swing rate which is a career high for smiley who's never had a fastball swing rate above 50 percent uh, last year he converted a fair amount of those fastballs to whiffs this year the swinging strike rate is down to about seven percent which is the lowest it's been since 2014 it isn't really babbit fueled either i mean usually he would be able to have a lot of success over the heart of the plate or even in the zone with that four seamer as you've been saying about other guys in the league in general but he's giving up a three 
386 Woba on that fastball, which is his worst Woba on his fastball in the zone since 2012. Last year, he put up a 44% CSW, which is called strikes plus whiffs over total pitches in the zone on fastballs. This year, it's all the way down to 36, which is a career low for him as well. So a lot of guys are having success with their four-seamer. Drew Smiley so far has not been one of them. Yeah, it certainly has been a rough go of it for Drew Smiley as he's going to be facing off against the Boston Red Sox, a team that has been doing a very good job of being able to reach base and being able to make some contact in general. And just when I take a look at the league with regards to the top ERA guys, a lot of these guys don't necessarily have Records that would necessarily stand out right now. The ERA leader in the MLB is Brandon Woodruff. Just has not necessarily been backed up by a lot of run support. Three and two record was finally able to get a win on Monday being a Milwaukee Brewers fan. It was very nice to see that, but quite a few of these guys, it's been very interesting to take a look at them because a lot of the ERA leaders, it goes back to something that I was mentioning earlier. They've done a good job of being able to limit the walks. I think that Trevor Rogers, among the guys that are in the top eight with regards to ERA, I think he is the only one that is giving out more than, I would say, about 2.7 walks per nine innings. We mentioned John Means a little bit earlier. He's got 11 walks over the course of 65 and a third innings. Brandon Woodruff, who I mentioned a little bit earlier, he's giving out a little bit over two walks per nine innings. And a lot of these guys, they're doing a good job of being able to get swings and misses. But you're noticing with a lot of these guys, 10 strikeouts per nine innings, nine and a half strikeouts per nine innings. You'll get a couple 12s with Garrett Cole and Trevor Bauer, but I just take a look across the lake. These high strikeout guys, they're doing solid, but at the same time, they're allowing a couple more runs. And we've even seen it with a guy like Matthew Boyd, where he winds up not necessarily focusing so much on strikeouts, but as a result, he's had much better results this year just because he's doing a better job of not giving up the homers. And he's doing a better job of locating. Yeah, Boyd is a guy that I've been a fan of for the past couple of years, and it's been such a wild ride because coming into the 2020 season before everything got shut down with the pandemic, I was really excited to see what he was going to be able to do with this new changeup and this new breaking ball and his curveball that he was offering. I was hoping that slider would return. Obviously, it didn't go well for him. He ended up breaking the record for most home runs allowed on the first pitch. And then this year, he comes in, he totally amps up that changeup usage, and he's been a completely different pitcher. I think the one through line that we've seen with a lot of these guys isn't necessarily elite fastball velocity, because that would bring Matthew Boyd out of the conversation, but very good fastball command. John Means and Matthew Boyd have very good fastball command, what makes Brandon Woodruff so fantastic, and Tyler Rogers, uh, and Rogers so fantastic. I was confused. Tyler, Taylor, Trevor, all the Rogers there are in baseball right now. But what makes the Miami pitcher Rogers so successful uh, is they have the velocity plus the command on that four seamer. It gives them such a fantastic foundation to be able to work with and sets up those breaking pitches even better. Yeah, I think that that's such a good point that you bring up. And when you take a look at who's all going to be going on Wednesday, I did wind up highlighting Drew Smiley a little bit. The fact that he has just had an almighty struggle. He's a guy that I've never necessarily been too high on in this year. Dark contact has really come to the forefront. He's going to be going up against a guy, Nick Bavetta, who's one of the highest walks per nine rate out there among qualifying starting pitchers with right around four and a half walks per nine innings. I think that that's going to be a very intriguing one, but is there a pitcher or two that is going to be going on the bump on Wednesday that you think that we should be having our eye on, whether it be for the positive or the negative, because you've obviously got one, the gentleman that wanted throwing a no hitter this year and Carlos Rodon, he's going to be going. Chris Paddock has had a little bit of a resurgence with the San Diego Padres. I would argue he's never necessarily been able to reach his true potential that he showed in 2019. I think it might've just been a little bit too much too soon. But when you take a look at all the guys who are going on Wednesday, is there a guy or two that you're going to be having your eye on? 
Uh, I mean, the only person who I'm probably going to be watching every single pitch of is Alex Manoa, who's going to be making his debut for the uh, Toronto Blue Jays going against the New York Yankees. He's been absolutely electric down in the minor league so far this year. So I'm really excited to see how he handles that debut, right? When it comes to guys making their debut, it often isn't necessarily just about their stuff. It's about how they deal with the nerves of a debut. Brady Singer hasn't been able to deal super well, but his stuff, I think, is going to play out in the end. Other guys, I'm going to be really excited to see. Griffin Canning's been able to figure out his past couple starts. He's been inconsistent but when he can locate his pitches he's been really successful and he's getting that lagging texas rangers offense although adalas garcia has been a lot of fun to watch and then other than that i think i'm going to be excited to watch um uh tyler glass out if he see if he's able to bounce back from that really poor start against the uh toronto blue jays where he was kind of didn't really show a lot of command i want to see if he's also going to maybe amp up that curveball usage and then of course i love watching marcus stroman going to be excited to see what he can do against the rockies in new york and in that same game that you wind up mentioning manoa which i'm really excited to see him as well i was seeing him at triple a his breaking stuff is filthy, but mm-hmm. you take a look at that same matchup, Domingo Ramon, ever since he wound up getting optioned down to that alternate site, he has come back and he has been magnificent, giving up six total runs over the course of his last five starts. So he certainly has been able to get things going. It's very nice to see that. I think that we're going to have a very entertaining day of baseball out there in the state of New York. And Alex, I know that you're a man that you're doing a great job with pitcher list. I believe that you're out there in the state of New York as well, so... You've got that going on. I know that you do a great job of just being able to take a look at all these pictures. You're taking a look at all the trends that we're seeing this season because it certainly has been one of the better years of the pitcher. I know that it feels like every two years we wind up bringing up, oh, it's the year of the pitcher, but it certainly has been very prevalent this year. So let the good people at home know what you've all got going on in general and how they're able to follow along on social media and elsewhere. Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at AlexFast8. I'm also on Instagram and TikTok at AlexFastPL. Trying to get some more baseball content on TikTok because there's not a lot. There's some really good stuff, but there's not a lot right now. Also releasing this fun video every Monday called Base Hits. And in the meantime, you can catch my work on uh, ESPN Sunday Night Baseball as well as some other ESPN broadcasts. You can check out my overlays there. But yeah, come, come talk to me on Twitter. Always happy to talk baseball. Thanks for having me. And Alex doing an absolutely terrific job with that. And to his point, TikTok is something that I typically attribute to women that are trying to do like fashionable stuff. So it would be nice to be able to get a little bit of baseball content on there. Alex is fighting the good fight with that. And he always just delivers whenever he's on this podcast, whenever he's on ESPN. list goes on and on. So big thanks to Alex Fast for joining me right here on the Baseball Betting Podcast. And coming up next, it is that time of the podcast. It can be a sign total on every game on the betting board for this wonderful Wednesday as we touch them all. Welcome back to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson as we're off to a quality start. And now it's time to walk it off in a grand fashion. And we're back here at Lovey Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. Great to have Alex Fast on this podcast. Doing absolutely terrific work over there with Pitcher List. Doing some appearances over there with the MLB Network. ESPN List goes on and on. He has really expanded the last 12 months. And it's always great to be able to get him on this podcast. So, big thanks to him. Now it is that time the podcast. I give you a sign total on every game on the betting board for this wonderful Wednesday as we 
Touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Do note that any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at JarenScorty1. As per usual, we are going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order. This is just where we go with the National League games first, then the American League games, and then any interleague games are going to be at the bottom. And then when it comes to the leagues, it goes by time order from there. So we start with the first National League game, 901-902 on the betting board. The Chicago Cubs at the road face off against the Pittsburgh Pirates. One William Crow is going to be going for the Buccos. Meanwhile, you've got Trevor Williams on the bump for the Cubs. Cubs are finding themselves anywhere between minus 135 minus 145 favorites. Meanwhile, if you're looking at the Buccos, you're going to be finding them anywhere between plus 125 and plus 128 with a total of 8.5. The over is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. The under is anywhere between even and minus 110. And with the Pittsburgh Pirates, it certainly has been a rough go of it for this offense. Currently, you've got Kyle Moran on the 10-day injured list, but this is a team that they should have some familiarity with Trevor Williams, which that is going to help. And you've got a couple guys that are getting on base for this team. You've got Brian Reynolds, Adam Frazier. A pair of guys with north of 375 on bases and north of 290 batting averages. Jacob Sellings has been able to give you a little bit as well. Now, guys like Eric Gonzalez, Gregory Palanco, Ben Gamble, they have not necessarily been able to give you a lot, but I do like what I'm seeing out of Volkraig, the young first baseman, has been able to hit for right around a 275-ish. And then for the Chicago Cubs, this is a team that they're vastly different home to road. At Wrigley Field, they've been one of the best teams in the major leagues. But you take a look at their road record entering into yesterday, 8-13, and which is a little bit concerning because they do have a plus-16 run differential. And a lot of that has to be credited to their bullpen. You've had just a bunch of guys be able to step up for this team. Even someone like Adil Maples has been solid. Brad Weak is back for this team. Dan Winkler, Craig Kimbrough looks like the Craig Kimbrough of old. Andrew Chafin has actually been able to give you some good innings as well. And then you've got Wilson Contreras who's a little bit banged up, but by and large you've got quite a few guys that are doing a good job of being able to get on base. Nico Horner hitting above a 300 long Chris Bryan. And Bryan has actually done some of his best work on the road, which is encouraging. Jock Peterson now is right around a 330 on base. Anthony Brizzo, Avi Baez, along Peterson are guys hitting between a 250 and a 260. Now PJ Higgins is right now filling in for Mr. Contreras. That's not necessarily ideal. And for the Pittsburgh Pirates, bullpen has been actually relatively solid for this team. Now they were pressed into quite a bit of action yesterday, but guys like Richard Rodriguez, Chris Ren, Jason Shreve, these guys have been able to do a pretty good job for you. And for Will Crow, it's not like he's going to be the world's greatest pitcher of all time, but he hasn't been too terrible. He's right now giving up right around four and a half walks per nine innings. The command is not necessarily there, but he's done a good job of being able to limit some of the hard contact. Has given up three runs or fewer in four out of his last five games. Now, he has given up at least three in three out of his last four, so you can take a look at that one of two ways, but then you take a look at Trevor Williams. Ever since he wound up leading the league in ERA after the Ulster break in 2018, he has not been the same guy. This is someone that has an ERA that's hovering right around six. He has went four and two-thirds innings or fewer in each out of his last four starts. He is someone that has given up the long ball as well. He has given up a combined seven home runs in his last five starts. I think that the Pirates should be a slight underdog, but I think that this is a little bit too extreme. Now, I do recognize the Cubs bullpen is relatively solid, but the Pittsburgh Pirates in their own right have some good bullpen pieces, so I'm going to wind up taking the plus price here with the Pirates. I needed at least a plus 121 to take that. Also set this all at 9.2, so we're going to be riding with the over to go along with the Pirates. 9-3, 9-4 on the betting board. You've got the Philadelphia Phillies in the red faceoff against the Miami Marlins. To be determined is going to be going for the fish. Meanwhile, Aaron Supernola is going to be on the bump for the Philadelphia Phillies, so we've got no numbers up on this game. You do want to know with Aaron Nola, throughout his career, he's been different home to road. On the road, he's got about a 1.2 points higher ERA than he does at home, and you just take a look so far this year. He just has not been the same whenever he's hit the road. 
uh, in road starts. 565 ERA, 1-3 record. He has given up five home runs in 28 and two-thirds innings. Two home runs given up in 30 and two-thirds innings at home. 235 ERA. Now, he didn't necessarily have the best start at home against Boston, but you can tell that just throughout his career, he's much more comfortable in Philadelphia. Meanwhile, with the Marlins, you got to think that they're going to be taking the wholesale approach. They've done this quite a bit. Would not be surprised if you wind up giving a start maybe to like Ross Setweiler. I know that Jordan Holloway is someone that has gotten like three, four innings in a lot of these spots. I don't think that he's currently on the active big league roster, though. You've got someone like Yimi Garcia that's able to step up, give you a little bit. Richard Blyer has been able to eat innings along with Anthony Bender as well. So you got to think that it's going to be a little bit of everyone trying to step up for this Miami Marlins team. And then when you take a look at the Miami Marlins, they've got a couple guys that are doing a good job of being able to reach base for you. Miguel Rojas along Jazz Chislam and Corey Dickerson. All guys hitting above 275. All guys with at least at 335 on base. Jesus Aguiar has been able to give you right around a 260-ish batting average. Nine home runs, 35 RBI. He has slowed down with home runs a little bit, but the good news is Garrett Cooper is starting to pick things up. He's got five home runs, but he has been able to hit three within the last seven days. So he is really starting to round in form now, hitting right around a 250 as well. Now guys like John Birdie and company, not necessarily doing much, but Jorge Alfaro coming back at the catcher spot should be able to up this team. Then when you take a look at the Philadelphia Phillies, you got a banged up team right now. Bryce Harper is going to be out the fold once again. Looks like he's been placed on the 10-day injured list. Reese Hoskins has nine home runs so far this year, but he's got one in the last four weeks. He has certainly slowed down. Matt Joyce is currently out there in the outfield. He, along with... The gentleman that's filling in for JT Riemito, Andrew Knapp, both hitting below the Mendoza line of 200 now. I will say the infield has been pretty solid. Mean Gene Segura hitting above a 300, but Didi Gregorius also out. Odubo Herrera has been able to turn it around, but for the Philadelphia Phillies, bullpen has been a disaster. One of the worst out there in the big leagues over the last 30 days. Archie Bradley has come off the injured list. He has not looked good. Hector Neris is someone that I don't trust in Ranger Suarez as a long guy. Not necessarily too ideal, but with Aaron Nola, I do think that he's going to be able to perform a little bit better in this spot, but I would probably be taking a look at the Marlins if I'm getting like north of a plus 125 plus 130-ish because yeah, I think that's going to be some sort of a bullpen game. Probably would be looking at a total of like eight or higher with the under seven half or higher. A look at the over. Initial thoughts there. Need to know a little bit more about the Marlins pitching situation, but sort of thoughts there. I'll have this update in the morning on my Twitter feed at JarenSquarty1 once we know a little bit more. 905-906 on the bang board. The Washington Nationals are going to be playing OC Cincinnati Reds. We are on to Cincinnati and they're on to Jeff Hoffman getting a road start for them. Meanwhile, Joe Ross on the bump for the Washington Nationals. Nationals. And we're between minus 126 and minus 130 favorites, seeing minus 125 out there as well. If you're looking at the red legs you're finding them anywhere between plus 110 and plus 117. Your total on this game is 9.5. Unders anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. Overs anywhere between even and minus 110. With Hoffman, he has been just significantly better ever since getting out of Colorado and Coors Field in general, but still not necessarily the guy that I would want to be trusting in. 3-3 record, 431 ERA. Has limited the hard contact right around .95 home runs per 9 innings, but the walks. Five walks per nine innings. That is not necessarily too ideal. And for Joe Ross, he's issuing quite a few free passes as well. Right around four walks per nine innings. He's given up nine home runs in 39 and a third innings as well. But if you take a look at Joe Ross, he's had two really bad starts. He wound up giving up eight runs to the Arizona Diamondbacks about a week or two ago. And then he got lit up for 10 runs. And then he got lit up for 10 runs at a start against the St. Louis Cardinals where he just wound up having to eat it. You take a look at this Washington Nationals lineup. One of the better ones at being able to get on base. Trey Turner down for what? Double digit amount of home runs. Right around a three 
360 on base, 324 batting average. You'd like to see that. Josh Bell, Kyle Schwarber, two guys that have been able to elevate in recent days. They wound up getting off to really rough starts, but Schwarber, now right around a 325 on base, has some nice power. Juan Soto has not necessarily been able to hit a bunch of home runs, but he's got nearly a 400 on base. Josh Harrison, 307 batting average, 380 on base. Young Gome has been able to hit for in the neighborhood of about a 250 along with Andrew Stevenson. And then you take a look at the Reds. This is a team that they're doing an absolutely superb job at home. They're in the top three in pretty much every offensive category at home, which is why you need to take a look at the away splits. Going into yesterday, in 21 games, they're averaging one home run per game, hitting as a collective a 233. Eugenio Suarez has been bad home to road, regardless of what's been going on. But you take a look at Nicasiano setting into yesterday. 12 home runs, but only two of those have come on the road. Taylor Naquin, a guy with 10 home runs. Three of them have come on the road. So you want to be taking a look at this. It does leave you with a little bit of trepidation with the Reds. And the pitching has just not necessarily been terrific in general for this team. You take a look at the bullpen. Brad Brock is a guy that they're kicking the tires on. Sean Doolittle, the former Washington National, has not necessarily been terrific. I do like Michael Felice along with Amir Garrett. And TJ Antone is someone I do feel like should be getting a little bit more run. But you take a look at the Nationals. Brad Ann is coming. He has been relatively soft for the team. Kyle Finnegan has been up and down. But he recently has been able to find it. Danny Hudson is someone that is relatively solid. And awesome both is a good long guy for this team. You take a look at Joe Rosso. I do have my concerns that he might be giving up a couple long balls in this spot. I want to making the Nationals, though, a minus 134 favorites because I also don't have a lot of faith in Jeff Hoffman. So I'm going to wind up laying it here with the Washington Nationals. With this total set it at 9.1, I'm going to be taking it under just because we've noticed with the Reds, offense has not been the same home to road. 907, 908 on the bang bar. The New York Metropolitans are going to be playing us to the Colorado Rockies. Roman Marquez going to be going for the Rockies. Marcus Roman on the bump for the Mets. Mets anywhere between minus 122 and minus 135 favorites. Meanwhile, if you're looking at the Rockies, anywhere between plus 112 and plus 117 with your total on this game, 6.5. Seeing a straight 6 out there as well. On the 6 over is juice minus 120. The under is even. If you're looking at the 6.5, under is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. Over is anywhere between even and minus 110. I do recognize that both of these lineups are terrible in their own right. So New York Mets completely banged up. They are trotting out their guys like Khalil Lee in the outfield. Meanwhile, you take a look at the Colorado Rockies. They just, in general, on the road have been absolutely terrible. They enter into yesterday 3-17 and 17 in road games, and it's not necessarily that they're banged up. You just take a look at what they're doing on the road in general. Nobody's been able to get anything going. Ryan McMahon actually has 12 home runs so far this season, but you take a look at it, and most of those have come on the road, as he's only had four road home runs. The other eight have come at home. He's hitting a 221 on the road. Trevor Story hitting a 222 on the road. Garrett Amson below the Mendoza line. Josh Fuentes below the Mendoza line of 200. Charlie Black. CJ Crone, really the only guys hitting above 250 when they're away from home. Entered into yesterday with a 208 batting average, 275 on base, so it has been a little bit of a disaster on that front end. 11 home runs in 20 road games. That is not great. Meanwhile, you take a look at the Metropolitans. What are you going to be able to get out of some of these guys? I mean, Jonathan VR, Francisco Lindor, James McCann, Jose Peraza, all guys entered into yesterday, hitting a 218 or lower. The only guy with north of a 295 on base entering yesterday was Thomas Nito, the backup catcher, who's having to see starts right now. It's just not necessarily going well for this team, but I will say, for the Mets, they've actually been able to do a relatively solid job with their bullpen. You wind up getting Jacob deGrom pitching yesterday, so that's always nice. You've got guys like Trevor May that you're able to rely upon. Aaron Lupe has been pitching 
pitching above the skis, along with someone like a Miguel Castro, Jacob Barnes, and then for the Colorado Rockies, Yancy Almonte has been terrible for this team. North of a 10 ERA, I don't understand why he's still at the big league level. Michael Givens, he has been giving you a little bit of something, but still, right around a 4-ish ERA. This is a Rockies team that when it comes to their road ERA, I believe it's dead last in the big league, so they have not been able to thrive there, and I will say for Herman Marquez, throughout his career, his ERA is actually a full point lower on the road than it is at home. 3-4 and four record so far this year, but he's given up right around .9 home runs per 9 innings, so he's done a good job of being able to keep it in the yard, and you take a look at those home and road splits so far this year. He's been better on the road than he has been at home as well. Now, giving up a couple too many walks, he has given up 30 walks so far this year over the course of about 52 and a third innings. I believe he, he leads the league in total walks. Meanwhile, for Stroman, he's given up fewer than two walks per nine innings, giving up right around one home run per nine, so he's been able to do a rock-solid job, and I do think that the Mets, even though they are a little bit banged up with the lineup, they are going to be able to get to just a Rockies team that in general has a bad bullpen, and they themselves have not necessarily been able to get much generated. I do have my faith in Stroman in this one, so we're going to be laying it here with the Mets, and I'm going to be taking this total over as well, as I think we've just gotten a little bit too low with this total. 909-910 on the main board. The Slam Diego Padres at the road to face off against the Milwaukee Brewers. Adrian Hauser goes for the Brew Crew. Meanwhile, Chris Paddock is on the bump for the Padres. Padres find themselves anywhere between minus 128 and minus 137 favorites. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Brew Crew, you're going to be finding them anywhere between plus 115 and plus 120. Seeing straight minus 125 on the pods as well. Your total on this game is 8. Overs anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. The under is anywhere between even a minus 110. Hauser has looked better this year than he has last year, but he's just sort of an up and down pitcher that you don't know what you're necessarily going to be able to expect out of him. And I think that I could say the same for Chris Paddock as well. Paddock wound up coming in the 2019 season, had a very good start to his career, and ever since then, meh. He's given up three home runs at 36 and a third inning, so he's kept the ball in the yard, given up a little bit under three walks per nine innings, but he does give up a little bit of contact in general. You take a look at his most recent last three starts slash appearances, all been solid. He's given up a combined two runs in them, but problem is he's went three, four, and six innings, so it's clear that the Padres don't necessarily trust some of Padres team that they've used their bullpen for more innings than any other team out there in the National League, and I will say this. They've got the best bullpen ERA of any team out there in the big leagues. You've been noticing that Janelson Lamet has been used as a little bit of a long guy. Emilio Pagan has been solid. Even some like your Craig Salmon has come in. He's been solid along with Austin Adams, so I do like these guys. And for the Milwaukee Brewers, you do have that 8th and ninth inning tandem in Devin Williams along with Josh Hader, but the rest of these guys like Anel Perdomo, Brent Suter, Brad Boxberger, you don't have a lot of faith in these guys. And for Hauser, he has been giving up quite a bit of hard contact. He is giving up right in the neighborhood of about 1.7 home runs per 9 innings. You take a look at what he's done at home so far this year. It's actually a little bit worse than what he's done on the road. At home, He's got an ERA that's hovering right around a 5. He has given up 3 home runs in 18 innings, so that's honestly two terrific opponents are inning 250 off of him, and for the Padres, this is a team that all of a sudden they've been able to get right with the bats. You do have to like what you're seeing out of Jake Cronenworth and Fernando Tatis Jr. A pair of guys hitting above a 300 going into yesterday. Hosmer is in that pocket as well with a 298, and for Tatis Jr., 13 home runs. Only guy in the starting lineup yesterday that entered into the game with more than 5, but you do have guys like Will Myers, Victor Carantini that you know that they're going to be able to turn it around, and for the Milwaukee Brewers, you do now Christian Yelich along with Omir Nervias back in the fold, which is big. Nervias, north of a 400 base. Christian Yelich was able to get his first home run this season on Sunday. Colton Wong has been able to hit right around a 285 for this team. Now you've got a couple slugs. Daniel Vogelback, Lorenzo Kane, Travis Shaw, William Thomas, Manny Pina. All guys hitting at 225 or lower, but you have been able to get a little bit more of something of this Milwaukee Brewers team, but I just think that the whole Padres bullpen is going to be able to thrive in this one. I think that Hauser is going to be giving up a couple too many home runs. Padres are getting just right 
right with the bats and the Padres have actually, in my opinion, been a little bit better on the road than they have been at home. Set them as a minus 133 favorite, so I'm seeing a minus 125 out there. I'm going to wind up taking that with the Padres. Wind up saying this total 8.7, so we're going to go over along with the Padres. 9-11, 9-12 on the big board. The Arizona Diamondbacks are going to be playing against the San Francisco Giants. Johnny Cueto is going to be going for the Yantes. Meanwhile, Merrill Kelly is on the bump for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Diamondbacks are finding themselves as slight underdogs here. And we're between plus 115 and plus 118. Meanwhile, if you're looking to lay it with the Giants, anywhere between minus 125 and minus 135, your total on game is 8.5. Over is minus 120. The under is even seeing a straight 9 out there as well. The under on that is minus 115 and the over on 9 is minus 105. For Merrill Kelly, he has been just significantly better home to road throughout his career. More than a full point and a half better on his ERA. He's done a better job with regards to K to walk as well. His strikeout to walk rate at home is hovering right around a 4-6. On the road, it's less than 2. So, you've seen a stark difference there. Meanwhile, you take a look at Johnny Cueto. I just feel like he gets oftentimes forgotten about because he's a little bit older, but he's been able to do a relatively rock-solid job so far this year and has yet to give up a home run in three road starts. Now, he's been averaging right around five innings per start in that end. Opponents are hitting 3-8-28 off of him on the road, but with the Arizona Diamondbacks, this is a team that they've been very hit or miss when it comes to the lineup, to say the least. They've got the Marte Parte of Quitel Marte back the fold, hitting a 3-50 going into yesterday, but he is someone that was on the injured list for quite a bit. Carson Kelly is now back for the team as well, hitting a 3-40, but once again, spent a lot of time on the shelf. Now, Eduardo Escobar, 12 home runs. He's hitting a 230. He's been able to give you a little bit of something. Nick Amad has really been a guy that has not given you anything whatsoever. You've got Peven Smith, who's hitting in the neighbor of a 250 as well. And then you take a look at the flip side for the San Francisco Giants. Right now, it's all about Buster Posey. He entered in yesterday's contest hitting a 355, nine home runs across 107 at bat. So he certainly has been able to do his job. Guys like Brandon Belt, Mikey Shumsky. Austin Dickerson, these guys are hitting a 235 or lower, but Evan Longoria has been able to offer you a little bit of something along with Don Vincelato and then Brandon Crawford. 11 home runs so far this year across 130 at-bats, so he certainly has been able to do his part for the Giants. No question they're going to have a bigger advantage when it comes to the bullpen because the Arizona Diamondbacks over the last 30 days worth bullpen ERA out there in the big league. Zach Liddell, Jake McGee, even someone like a Caleb Barger right now is an ERA hovering right around a 0-60. These guys have been relatively rock solid for the Diamondbacks. Kevin Ginkle has not necessarily been able to do the job for you. Stefan Kicktron is someone with an ERA north of six. Taylor Clark has come into some long relief spots and not been terrible. But Joe Monopoly, list goes on and on. These guys have not necessarily been too superb. I do think that Kelly is going to be a little bit better in this spot just because throughout his career he's always been a little bit better at home than he has been on the road. But I do think that Cueto going to be able to give you a little bit of something. I do think that the lineups for the San Francisco Giants are just made better whenever you've got Buster Posey out there, which is why I do wind up making the San Francisco Giants right around about a minus 123 favorite with the Diamondbacks. I need a plus 123, so... This is going to be in some form or capacity to take on the Giants because this actually opened up at minus 135, so we're seeing it fall. And then with the total, I wound up setting it at 8.6, so it's barely a take on the over for me. I do think that we're going to get a little bit of better juice, so it's some form of capacity. Going to wind up going over in this spot and going to wind up taking the San Francisco Giants. 9-13, 9-14 on the betting board. The Baltimore Orioles hit the road face off against the Minnesota Twins. Michael Pineda hopes to not be Michael Pineda for the Twins. Meanwhile, Ore Lopez is going to be on the the bump for the Orioles. Your total on this game is 9. 
Over is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 145. The under is anywhere between plus 105 and minus 110. If you're looking at the Twins, sizable favorites here. Anywhere between minus 186 and minus $2. Meanwhile, if you take a look at the Orioles, anywhere between plus 170 and plus 175. For the Orioles, Ore Lopez just not having a good run of it. And right now, as I'm taking a look at the run line of the Minnesota Twins, find that right around even money to minus 105. I was willing to lay up to about a minus 115 in this spot. So that's certainly where I'm going to be landing because Michael Pineda has actually been relatively solid for the Minnesota Twins. Someone that has a 279 ERA has given up the long ball a little bit too much. Eight home runs in 38 and two-thirds innings. But you take a look at past seasons, he's done a better job of not giving up hard contact. I think that he's just been in a situation in which He's gotten a little bit unlucky. Opponents at home are hitting 202 off of him, but in his home starts, he has given up six home runs in 28 and a third innings. I think that that is something that is going to regress, especially when going up against a Baltimore Orioles lineup that they've actually been right around 500 on the road. At home, they've been a hot mess, but you don't necessarily have a lot of guys that are necessarily mashing for this team. Trey Boom Boom Mancini has been able to give you a double-digit amount of home runs. He's got right around a 350-ish on base. He's been able to hit a 280. Freddie Galvis has been able to give you a little bit of something. And Cedric Mullins has been a good table setter at the top. Not necessarily a ton of power with him, but he has been able to hit a 300 with a nearly 375 on base. But then, you take a look at DJ Stewart, Mikel Franco, Francisco. These guys hitting a 200 or lower. Ramon Odias whenever he's out there. Pedro Severino has been able to give you a little bit of something right around 250. And Anthony Santander has actually been relatively solid hitting a 260 ever since he's gotten off the injured list. And for the Minnesota Twins, they are a little bit of a banged up lineup in their own right. Josh Allison, Alex Kurloff, along with Ore Palanco, wound up coming back to the fold yesterday, throwing their Andrelton Simmons in between a 230 and a 240. Max Kepler has seen a dip in his batting average below a 230 for the season. Mitch Garver along Trevor Lonich, they need to pick it up a little bit. Rob Rev Snyder, though, in limited bats has actually been solid. Miguel Sano, seven home runs for him over the last 10 days. He has really been doing a nice job for this team, and when you take a look at both of these bullpens, I do give the advantage here a little bit to the Baltimore Orioles, but they're going to be pressed into a lot of action because with Mr. Lopez, 6 ERA, he has given up right around 1.8-ish home runs per nine innings. If you're taking a look at the walks per nine, that's suffering more in the neighborhood of about 3.6, and you just take a look at what he's done in general so far this year. He has given up two runs or fewer in now four out of his last five starts, which actually is quite superb, but a lot of these starts have been fewer than five innings, and you take a look at what he's been able to do in general on the road, giving up four home runs in 19 and two-thirds innings, so I do think that that is a little bit of a black guy. I do think that things are not necessarily going to go well for him now with the Baltimore Orioles. You also do have a couple guys out there like a Paul Fry, a Cole Souls, or Cesar Valdez, able to do a solid job in the bullpen throwing their tanner. Scott, and for the Twins, the bullpen has been rough this year, no question, but Taylor Rogers and Soto Robles, two guys are able to rely upon. Cody Sasha, Caleb Theobar have not been good so far this year, but I think that they're going to pick it up along with Ore Alcala, so this is a spot in which I do think that Pineda is going to be able to give you a good start, so I'm going to wind up taking the Twins on the run line. Set this total at 8.4 as well. I do think that you're going to see a little bit of offense from both sides, but I think that both of these guys are going to rein it in with regards to the hard contact that they're giving up, so taking the under along with the Twins. Run line, 915-916 on the betting board. The Seattle Mariners hit the road to face off against the Oakland A's. James Caparillion is going to be going for the A's. To be determined is on the bump for the Seattle Mariners. So this is a game that is presently off the board. Was seeing a little bit earlier in the day Chris Flexen, but it appears as though he has been scratched from the start, which is why we currently have no numbers up on this game for the Seattle Mariners. Pretty much anyone's guess as to what they might be going with in this spot because they have been using up their bullpen quite a bit. Robert Duggar is someone that might wind up seeing a start. I believe that he wound up seeing a start earlier this year, and a couple years ago he was starting some games with the Miami Marlins. Never been too great in his career, not allowing our contact for his career. Right around two home runs per nine innings, he's given up right around four walks per nine, so 
He has not been doing a great job there. You take a look at someone like JT Chargois. He's able to give you multiple innings. Keenan Middleton is fresh off the injured list as well, so you're going to get a little bit of hope there, but man, it is not good. Meanwhile, you take a look at the Oakland A's. You have been able to get quite a bit out of James Caparillion in his two starts. Ten and two-thirds innings. Has given up to him. Runs, but still, 253 ERA. That's not necessarily too terrible. And then with the Oakland A's, this is a team that they're actually pitching worse at home than they are on the road, which is very surprising. Right around 475 ERA when they are at home. Meanwhile, on the road, more like a 3-5-3-6-ish, and you've got quite a few guys doing a good job of being able to give you hard contact. Ramon Laureano long match. Chapman both have a double digit amount of home runs. Mark Ken has actually been a really good table setter for this team. Has an on-base percentage hovering right around 360. Batting average is more around a 260, but he also has been able to give the team 10 home runs. You've been able to get 8 home runs out of Seth Brown as well, so that has been very nice to see him for the Seattle Mariners. Very top-heavy lineup. You've got Mitch Anniger, 13 home runs, 263 average entering into yesterday. Really the only guy other than Eric Gamble who entered into the night one for one hitting above a 250 for this team. Prior to that, Tom Murphy, Jack Mayfield, pair of guys hitting below the middle line of 200 now. Jared Kellenick does have two home runs, but two of his six hits have one for home runs. He's hitting above 46. Evan White, along with Ore Mamalois. These guys have just not necessarily been able to put it together. And then for the Seattle Mariners, you got to fear that the bullpen is starting to really fail them as well because at the beginning of the year they were lights up, but now you've got Kendall Graveman along with Will Vest on the injured list as well. And then with the Oakland A's, you're able to rely upon someone like a Lou Trevino. You're able to take a look at Jake Diekman. He's going to be able to give you a little bit of something. Cam Bedrosian has been acquired by the Reds. He was a failure with the Reds, but I actually liked him back in his time with Los Angeles, so maybe getting back into the state of California going to be good for him. I anticipate the A's being a relatively sizable favorite here because with the Seattle Mariners, I just don't think that this team is very good in general. They've got a negative 50 run differential with a 22 and 26 record entering into yesterday, so I do think that regression is going to be coming their way. Check back in the morning my Twitter feed at Jarrus41, but I anticipate the A's being a sizable favorite and probably a total in the neighborhood of about an 8 and 8 and a half, depending on who winds up going for the Mariners. 917-918 on the banking board. The Texas Rangers hit the road to face off against the LA Angels. One good Griffin Canning is going to be going for the Angels. Dane Gitter Dunning is going to be on the bump for the Texas Rangers. Rangers did not wind up confirming Dunning until late in the night, so this is a game that is presently off the board, but for Dane Dunning, 2-3 and three record, but he's actually been, in my opinion, one of the better pitchers for the Texas Rangers. Two home runs give it up in 43 and a third inning, so he's done a good job of being able to keep things out in front of him. He has been a little bit different home to road, but the splits aren't necessarily ones that are too dramatic with regards to home runs, giving up one home run in 16 and a third innings, but opponents are in 299 with a 606 ERA when he's on the road. Meanwhile, you take a look at Griffin Canning. I know that we were talking with our good buddy Alex Fast about the way that he's been able to put it together. You take a look at him. He has given up two runs or fewer in three out of his last four starts. Now, he's just someone that has been up and down. You take a look at his last five starts. Has went north of five innings in three of them and looks solid in those three. The other two, he went and combined four innings and gave up ten runs. So, you just don't know whether you're going to get good or bad Griffin Canning. He just has not been able to put it together time and time again and at home. has actually been worse on the road. 6.30 ERA at home. Has only given up two home runs in his home starts, but is also giving up seven walks over the course of ten innings and opponents are getting 2.75 off of him. And let's face it, he's not backed up by a very good bullpen whatsoever. When you take a look at this Angels bullpen, hard to have a lot of faith in guys like Rossi Iglesias, Mike Myers, Aaron Slager. Sony Watson has actually been solved for the team with a 2.25 ERA, but past that, you don't necessarily have too many guys you're able to hang your hat on. Meanwhile, for the Rangers, Kobe Allard has been a good long guy for the team. West Benjamin, 
Uh, the bullpen has been solid as a starter. It's not necessarily been too good. Ian Kennedy, John King, these guys have been able to give you a little bit of something. And then for the Texas Rangers, Adolius Garcia has been amazing for this team. In my opinion, one of the more underrated players in all baseball right now. 14 home runs with a 290 batting average entering into yesterday. Isaiah Kinnair Falefa also hitting a 290. And then got a lot of guys hitting in that pocket between a 253 and a 263. Jose Trevino, Willie Calhoun, Nick Solak, along with Nate Lowe, all doing that. Now, Joey Gallo was out of the fold yesterday, but Joey Gallo only hitting right around a 220. He's on base. Has been relatively solid. David Dell has been able to give you a couple home runs, but he himself only hitting in the neighborhood of a 213, so that's been a little bit brutal. I will say he has been able to do a relatively solid job on the road, hitting three of his four home runs at a 260 batting average on the road, so you do take a look at that, and for the Angels, no doubt not having Mr. Mike Trout out there asserting this team, as you've got a couple guys that are not necessarily tr- so trustworthy in the lineup. Taylor Ward, along Kurtz, Suzuki. You've even got someone like a Drew Butera, Justin Upton. All these guys hitting a 200 or lower going into yesterday's contest. Anthony Rendon is back. Got to anticipate he's going to be hitting better than a 234. Jose Iglesias hitting in the neighborhood of 280. David Fletcher has been able to do a better job ever since he had a rough start to the year. And then you've obviously got Shoy Otani. 270 batting average, 14 home runs. Jared Walsh hitting above a 300 as well. So I do think that you're going to see a little bit of a fasting total with this spot because I do think that Canning is probably going to wind up having a little bit of regression. It just seems to be what winds up happening with him in general. So I did wind up saying this all at 9.3, especially with this being a day game out there in Los Angeles. So a 9 or lower going to be taking a look at the over, 9.5 or higher going to be taking a look at the under. And in this spot, made the Angels a very slight minus 107 favorite, which means a plus 107 or higher going to be taking a look at the Rangers. 919, 920 on the betting board. You've got the Toronto, aka Dunedin, aka Buffalo Blue Jays, on the road facing off against the New York Yankees. One Domingo Herman is going to be going for the Yankees. Alec Manoa is going to be going for the Toronto Blue Jays. Blue Jays find themselves as underdogs here. Anywhere between plus 144 and plus 154. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Yankees, you're going to be finding them anywhere between minus 157 and minus 170. Your totals between 9 and 9.5 nine and on the 9. Overs anywhere between minus 120 and minus 125. Unders anywhere between plus 105 and even. If you're looking at the 9.5, unders anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. The overs anywhere between even and minus 110. For Manoa, he has just absolutely nasty stuff. I wound up seeing some of his AAA stuff, the highlight reel. His breaking pitch is absolutely superb, and at the AAA level, I think he gave up like one run in his three starts, so he did a very good job there. He actually, a few years ago, back in 2019, was pitching in college for West Virginia, so he's had a fast rise, currently just 23 years old, going to be getting his first start. Meanwhile, you take a look at Domingo Herman, after he wound up having three really bad starts to begin the year, he's really been able to settle down. It's a big reason why his home and road splits are very insane. He's got a 5.02 ERA at home, but I take that with a grain of salt because you take a look at his first three starts, he just wasn't able to get anything going whatsoever, giving up like three plus runs in each out of them. And then you take a look at his last five starts, he has given up a combined, I believe, six runs. So he has really been able to rein it in. He's done a good job of not allowing as much hard contact, giving up three home runs in that time span as well. And then when you take a look at the Toronto Blue Jays, this is an offense that is very capable. I like the way that Marcus Simeon and Boba Shett have been able to give you something at at the top of the line for Simeon, right around a 350 on base, 280 batting average, 12 home runs, but shit has been able to give you nine home runs. He's hitting more around a 270 Vlager or Jr. to Oscar Hernandez. Pair of guys hitting above a 320 for this team, and with Vlager or Jr. entered into yesterday, tied for the MLB lead in home runs with 15 of them, and then he winds up getting his 16th yesterday. Randall Gritchick, he's hitting right now a 270 for this bunch as well. Lords Gurriel, after a rough start to the year. He's been able to put it together. And then for the Yankees, Luke Voigt is back in the fold. Just one home run so far this year after he wound up leading the league in home runs last season. you got to figure that he's going to pick it up. But he, Gary Sanchez, Rudin Odor, Clint Frazier, Kyle Igashioka, 
all guys currently hitting below a 200 for this team. Brett Gardner just above that with right around a 205-ish. Flavor Torres, Gio Rochelle, they've been able to do a solid job for this team. And Aaron Judge, how about this gentleman? He's hitting above a 312 home runs. He has certainly been able to get it done. And for the Yankees, they've got one of the best bullpens that you're going to find out there in the big leagues. Aroldis Chapman has been terrific for this team. Jonathan Luizaga has been able to give you good innings. Heck, even someone like Awandi Peralta has been able to do a good job ever since coming over in that Mike Talkman trade. And for the Toronto Blue Jays, you got to expect that the bullpen is going to continue to regress a little bit, but I still am pretty impressed by these guys. Joel Payampas, Tim Maza, Jordan Romano, they've been able to come in. They've been able to do a relatively solid job. Ty Tice, not necessarily a guy that you're able to rely upon along with Anthony Castro, but A.J. Cole is back in the fold for this team as well. With this spot, I want to make the Yankees a relatively sizable favorite at minus 163 because I do like the recent form of Domingo Herman. If you're looking at the run line in this spot, I'm seeing the Yankees run line right around a plus 123 at DraftKings, which I find very fascinating because obviously it's an East Coast book. More out here in Vegas, I'm seeing a plus 115. I needed at least a plus 110 to be able to take a shot on the Yankees, so we're going to be taking that run line. Also, wound up saying this total 8.6 personally, seeing the 9 to 9.5. I'm going to be going with this total under to go along with the Yankees run line. 921, 922 on the banging board. You got the Detroit Tigers playing host to the Cleveland Indians. Undecided is currently going for the Indians, which means that we've got a game that's off the board. Meanwhile, Jose Yorenia is going to be going for the Tigers. Yorenia has actually been very good for the Tigers so far this year. To my surprise, he's been able to do a nice job of being able to keep the ball in the yard. Walks have always been an issue for him, and they are once again this year. He is a gentleman that's giving out right around 3.6 walks per nine innings, but he has been able to do a good job of being able to it in. You take a look at what he's been able to do on the road this year, 341 ERA. Unfortunately, this is a home start, though, and he's got a 688 ERA. So that is something that you do need to keep in mind. Now, a grand total of three home runs given up over the course of 48 and two-thirds innings is something that you're able to rely upon. But keep in mind with Cleveland Indians, best bullpen ERA really out there in the big leagues right now. Going into yesterday, Aaron Savali was able to give you a good start. So you're able to use a little bit more of the wholesale approach in this game. You got to think that maybe John Carlos Mejia is going to be able to get a couple innings for the team. Cal Quantrill is someone that used to be a starter with the San Diego Padres. He's able to give you a little bit of something. Nick Wickren has not necessarily been terrific for the team, but he's probably going to be able to give you an inning or two. You've got James Karinczak, who's become a multi-inning guy. Phil Maton is able to give you a little bit of length as well, so you've got a lot of mixing and matching going on, and with the Cleveland Indians, you currently got Fran Mel Reyes, who's injured, but you've been able to get a couple guys to be able to rise up with their batting average. Harold Ramirez hitting above a 260 for this team is encouraging, or mid Rosario, more than the neighbor of 250 is ice, and then you've got Jose Ramirez still out there. 12 home runs, right around a 255 batting average. Cesar Hernandez has been able to come through right around a 320-ish on base, along Jordan Luplo, Luplo only in a buck 60, but he's been able to give you still a little bit of something. Now, you've got guys like Yu Chang, Owen Miller, Austin Edges, Jake Bowers, hitting at 215 or lower, which is up. But then you take a look at the Detroit Tigers. Got a couple guys that are coming through for this team. Hero Castro in a small sample size, hitting well above a 350. That has been nice. Jamir Candelario hitting at 275. Robbie Grossman, 385 on base. But then you've got the slugs on this team that are just not giving you anything whatsoever. Willie Castro, Jonathan Scope, Noah Mazzara, all guys hitting a 220 or lower. Grayson Griner, whenever he's been out there at the catcher spot year in and year out, giving you absolutely nothing whatsoever. And for the Detroit Tigers, worst bullpen ERA out there in the big leagues now. Gregory Soto has been able to give you a little bit of something, but really past that, it's been tough. Joey Menez, someone that winds up entering into yesterday with a 1736 ERA. Jose Cicerno has been a little bit of a disaster in his own right. Tyler Alexander, he's actually been okay, but he hasn't been used a lot, so. 
I think that this is going to be an intriguing spot. I'm certainly going to be having the Indians as a favorite. I'm going to be figuring that Fray Mail Rays is going to be out of the fold, so likely going to result in a little bit of a lower total in this spot. I'd be surprised if I'm setting this much north of 8, but that's where I'm currently looking right now. Cleveland Indians as a favorite, probably like a 7.5 to an 8-ish roll, something in that pocket. 9.23, 9.24 on the bang board. The Tampa Bay Rays are going to be playing OC Kansas City Royals. Mike Miner hopes to not be a major disappointment for the Kansas City Royals. Meanwhile, Tyler Glasson is on the bump for the Rays. Rays are finding themselves anywhere between minus 193, minus 210 favorites. Meanwhile, if you're looking at the Royals, anywhere between plus 180 and plus 175. Total on this game is 7. With the over, it's anywhere between minus 120, minus 125. The under is anywhere between even and plus 105. Mike Miner just has not been very good ever since he wound up having his all-star campaign a few years ago back in 2019. That was a year in which you knew regression was going to be coming in, and then it wound up hitting him and hitting him hard. And you take a look at him so far this year, right around 1.5 home runs per nine innings issued, right around 3.2 walks. He has been able to get swings and misses. 52 strikeouts and 49 innings, but you just take a look at him in general. It has been a disaster, especially on the road, giving up four home runs over the course of 21 innings. And you take a look at him recently. At least three runs given up in four out of his last five starts. Has it been able to offer length at least five innings in each of his last four starts, but it's not necessarily the length that you're looking for for the Kansas City Royals. The bullpen began the year very solid, and Scott Barlow has been able to do a relatively solid job for this team. I do give him a lot of credit, and then you've got another guy that I do like that's been able to come in, and Jake Branson has been able to give you a couple innings, but Greg Holland, hit or miss guy. You've also got someone in Irvin Santana that's trying to give you long relief. Tyler Zuber enters into yesterday with an ERA north of a 5-5. Kyle Zimmer's actually been okay, but man, it's been a little bit tough there. Meanwhile, with the Tampa Bay Rays, this is a bunch that has just really been able to get some good bullpen pitching, and the fact that Rich Hill was able to complete north of seven innings yesterday, that is certainly going to be able to help them out. You've got guys like Diego Castillo, Pete Fairbanks, J.P. Fireisen, who winds up coming over in that trade for Willie Adamas, all being able to give you something. Andrew Kittredge has an ERA that's below a 1-5. Jeffrey Springs has been able to do a good job. And then for the Tampa Bay Rays, they are striking out the most of any team in baseball ever since the beginning of the 2020 season, but you've got a couple guys that are now starting to find it with this team. Joey Wendell is hitting above a 300. G-Man Joy is back. He's hitting well above a 300. Taylor Wells has come up, and he's been able to give you a little bit of something along with Francisco Mejia, who's hitting at 275. I do like what you're able to get out of Randy Rosarena, who wound up getting a day off yesterday. Do have a couple guys that they do need to pick it up. Brandon Lau, Austin Meadows, Kevin Kiermeyer, hitting a 225 or lower, but Mike Zanino, whenever he's at the catcher spot, double-digit amount of home runs, and then for the Kansas City Royals, Orde Soler wound up hitting 48 home runs during the 2019 campaign. He has not been the same this year. Four home runs, hitting a buck seventy-eight. That has been absolutely terrible. Nicky Lopez is hitting at two thirty. You expect him to get on base a little bit more. Michael A. Taylor with Merrifield, Carlos Santana, owing between a two forty-five and a two sixty with Santana, north of a three ninety on base. So he's been able to give you a little bit of something there. Salvador Perez, nine home runs, two eighty batting average. And Andrew Benintendi has been able to do a little bit of something for you. And then when you take a look at the race, actually been a little bit better on the road than they have been at home so far this year. Meanwhile, the Royals—they're right around five hundred team on the road. So I do think that this is a spot in which. It has gotten a little bit overinflated because of Tyler Glass. So great at being able to get swings and misses. Right around 12 and a half punch outs per nine innings, 290 ERA, but he does give up the long ball himself. Right around 1.4 to 1.5-ish home runs per nine innings. We've seen it with a lot of these guys that they get a bunch of strikeouts. They just wind up getting it hard at times. I wound up needing to get at least a plus 177 here with the Kansas City Royals. We're getting right around a plus 180, so it's going to be a take there. Also set this total more around eight, so we're going to be taking the over along with the Royals. 925-926 on the bang board. The Chicago White Sox are going to be playing us to the St. Louis Cardinals. John Gant is going to be going for the cards. 
Carlos Rodon is going to be on the bump for the White Sox. Your total on this game is 8.5. Under is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 125. The over is anywhere between plus 105 and minus 110. Seeing straight 8 out there as well. The over is minus 120. The under is even. If you're looking at the Chicago White Sox, anywhere between minus 169 and minus 182. Meanwhile, your plus price here with the Cardinals. Anywhere between plus 155 and plus 162. For Gant, he has had a little bit of a walks issue, but he seems to be really reining it in for a Cardinals team that they back him up with a relatively solid bullpen. Alex Reyes winds up entering into the week 14 of 14. 14 in save opportunities. Someone like a Genesis Cabrera has been able to come in. He's been solid. Now, I do think that Jordan Innix is probably going to be unavailable for this game, but for Gant himself, he does have quite a few walks, right around six walks per nine innings, but has only given up one home run in 39 and two-thirds innings. So that's rock solid. Carlos Rodon, he's done a good job of being able to limit our contact as well. Two home runs in 42 and two-thirds innings. 62 strikeouts over the course of 42 and two-thirds innings with a buck 27 ERA. So, got a pair of guys that have really been able to put it together so far this year now with the St. Louis Cardinals. Paul D. Young, Tyler O'Neill, Harrison Bader, all currently on the injured list for the White Sox. You've got the guys that you know are currently on the injured list, Luis Robert. You're going to be suffering a little bit with Eloy Jimenez still out, but I mean, you've even been able to get Yohan Moncada going. He's a guy with a round of 400-ish on base along with your Mercedes. Tim Anderson is not someone that's going to draw a lot of walks, but hitting nearly a 300 for the team. Adam Eaton, he needs to pick it up. He's hitting below the Mendoza line of 200, and he has Bonnie Grandal. Entered in yesterday with a buck 36 batting average around 391 on base. That is absolutely insane. Meanwhile, you take a look at the St. Louis Cardinals. They are going to need to get a little bit of something out of the top of the fold. And quite a few of these guys have been relatively solid. Tommy Edmond, along Dylan Carlson, Nolan Arenado, and Yadier Molina. In between a 270 and a 290. Paul Goldschmidt is hitting right around a 260 right now. You got to figure that he's going to pick it up. He winds up entering into yesterday with six home runs. You know that he's better than that. Now, Logan Thomas, Matt Carpenter, a couple other guys like a John Williams. These guys have not necessarily been too terrific, but Umando Sosa has been able to write around a forearm for the team, and then you take a look at the Chicago White Sox. They're probably not going to need to use their bullpen a ton, but it's been much better since the beginning of the year. You've got guys like Aaron Bummer that are able to come in and be saw Garrett Crochet. has been absolutely terrific with a 0.71 ERA, just a walking strikeout. Evan Marshall wound up getting off to a rough start to begin the year, but he's been able to rein it in a little bit more recently. Had a little bit of a rough COVID last week as well, but I think that he's going to be able to pick it up. Jose Ruiz is someone that saw it as well, but I do think that we've went a little bit too far with regards to this price. Certainly, the White Sox should be a sizable favorite in the spot. Also, only willing to make them more around a minus 145. So, seeing the plus 155 or greater with the Cardinals, I'm going to wind up taking that. And with the total, set at 8.1. I actually do like what I'm seeing out of both of these pitchers. So, we're going to be taking the under along with the St. Louis Cardinals. 927, 928 on the bank board. You've got my New York Post play today as the Atlanta Braves are going to be in the road and they're going to be facing off against the Boston Red Sox. Nick Bavetta is going to be going for the Sox. Meanwhile, Drew Smiley is going to be on the bump for the Atlanta Braves. The Braves are finding themselves as a little bit of an underdog here. If you're looking at the Braves, you're going to be finding them anywhere between minus 105, and I'm seeing as good as a plus 102. Meanwhile, if you're looking at the Sox, you're going to be finding them anywhere between minus 112 and minus 118. Your total on this game is 10 over and under anywhere between minus 105 and minus 115. And the New York Post play today, I realize that this total is a bit high, but I'm going to wind up taking this total over with Drew Smiley. I was mentioning it with our good buddy Alex Fast and the fact that they're just giving out so much hard contact right now that it's not even funny. With Drew Smiley, he right now leads the league with 11 home runs issued over the course of 37 innings. He's got a north of 5 ERA. Has actually looked a little bit better in recent starts. He has given up 3 runs of fewer and 3 out of his last 4, so you're able to hang your head on that, but you take a look at the Atlanta Braves. They've got about him 10 bullpen. 
this season with regards to ERA. You've just had guys like Jesse Biddle. Even Tyler Madzik was struggling out there for a period in April. Now, I will say Luke Jackson on the road has been able to do a very good job with his relief pitching, but hard to have any faith here in Smiley. And with Nick Pavetta, I do think that regression is going to be coming in, and it's going to be coming in from hard. I believe that the Boston Red Sox have only lost one of his nine starts so far this year, but he is giving out four and a half walks per nine innings. As he shoot three home runs over the course of 47 and two-thirds innings, but keep in mind, he used to pitch for the Philadelphia Phillies in his career, which has spanned 15 total appearances, 12 starts. He's got a 474 ERA against the Atlanta Braves, so things have not necessarily been going well from there. You just figured at some point the Atlanta Braves would be able to bust out with the bats. They certainly were able to do so in that series against the Pittsburgh Pirates, in which they were able to put up 33 runs in that one. Ronald Acuna Jr., he's been able to lead the National League in home runs with 15 of them, nearly a 380 on base. You've got Freddie Freeman, 360 on base. He's been able to give you a double-digit amount of home runs, 240 batting average. Ahiro Adrianza giving you some solid at that's Ozzie Albies is picking up his batting average. Austin Riley, north of a 400 on base. Danzy Swanson has been able to pick it up. Hey, Pablo Sandoval, the Kung Fu Panda, wound up having three hits yesterday. So you like to see that Guillermo Radio. He's got right around a 385 on base. And for the Boston Red Sox, they've done a good job of being able to get on base as well. Not necessarily hitting for a ton of home runs when they've been at home, but they just have a bunch of guys that they do a good job of being able to get on. J.D. Martinez, Sandra Bogart's 400 on bases. Both of these guys hitting above a 315. Rafael Devers, double digit round of home runs. He's been able to give you right around 275, Christian Vasquez, Danny Santana, Kike Hernandez, all in between a 215 and a 265. Alex Verdugo hitting nearly a threader as well. Hunter Renfro along with Bobby Dahlbeck at the bottom of the fold have been a little bit tough and then for the Boston Red Sox. Bullpen has been relatively solid so far this year, but I do think that there's going to be a little bit of reg- regression. Hurricazu Sawamura winds up getting used up yesterday. You've got Garrett Woodlock who's been solid along with Phillips Valdez. I don't know how long they're going to be able to pick it up along with Matt Barnes, Adam Adovino, Josh Shaler. Don't have a lot of faith in these guys. I wound up saying this total more around at 10.4, so I'm going to wind up taking this total over with the Atlanta Braves. I'd need more of a plus 135 to be able to take them. I do think that regression is doing for Nick Pavetta, but I just think that lowly of Drew Spitely in this spot. So we're going to be taking the over. That is the New York Post play today, and I'm going to be taking the Boston Red Sox on the money line. I wrap things up with 929, 930 on the main board. The LA Dodgers hit the face off against the Houston Astros as you've got Lewis Garcia going for the Astros. Trevor Bauer Powers on the bump for the Dodgers. Dodgers anywhere between minus 130 and minus 140 favorites. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Astros, anywhere between plus 120 and plus 127. Totals anywhere between 8 and 8.5. And on the 8 overs, anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. Unders anywhere between even and minus 110. On the 8 and a half. Unders between minus 115 and minus 120. The overs anywhere between even and minus 105. For Garcia, it certainly has been an interesting year for him. He hasn't necessarily been able to get wins, but he's come in. He certainly has been far from embarrassing himself. 338 ERA, 2-3 and three record. 40 innings pitch. He has given up 8 home runs, so he's given up right around 1.75-ish home runs per 9 innings. The walks are a little bit high, right around 3.3 walks per 9. And then you take a look at Trevor Bauer. He's given up right around 1.2 home runs per 9 innings, but by and large, he has been terrific. Buck 98 ERA, 0.77 whip. You take a look at what he's been able to do on the road. It's still been relatively solid. has been a little bit better at Dodger Stadium, but still, 2.47 ERA. A lot of the home runs that he wound up giving up are at Coors Field, by the way. So if you take that start out of the fold, he's been even better. And for the Dodgers, got quite a few guys. They're doing a good job of being able to get on base for the team. Dodgers are right now towards the top of the lake with regards to so many of these offensive categories. Max Muncy, 455 on base. He has really been able to pick it up with the power. Double digit on home runs. Justin Turner down for what? Will Smith, Chris Taylor. All guys in between a 270 and a 280. Matt Beattie's been able to hit above a 280. Austin Barnes is starting to give you something. Gavin Lux, Mookie Betts.
sets in between a 255 and a 265. And then for the Astros, this is a team that prior to their loss in the final game of their series against the Texas Rangers, four plus runs in 15 straight games. Jose Altuve, Alex Bregman, Yoli Gurriel, Jordan Alvarez. All guys hitting above a 3 for the C. Michael Brantley's in that fold as well, but he wound up getting the day off yesterday. Carlos Correa has been able to hit about a 260 for the C. Kyle Tucker, though he's only hitting about a 230, he's been able to give you 10 home runs. He's been able to do a good job. Now, the thing where these teams really differ is just with regards to overall ERA. The Dodgers currently second in the league with that regard. Now, the bullpen is full of guys that maybe you haven't necessarily heard a ton about, but David Price is now back for the team. You've been able to get a whole lot of production out of Victor Gonzalez. I like the way that he's been able to perform for the team. Blake Trying is something that you're able to rely upon. And then for the Houston Astros, Inoli Paredes has been able to give you some solid innings, but it still feels like Brooks, Rayleigh, and Ryan Presley pitch in every game. I have no idea why. Ryan Sanek, someone that is an ERA that's hovering right around a 360. Not great, not terrible. Brandon Belak has come in for some long relief. He's been okay-ish, but I do think that the Dodgers are going to be able to get the best of the Houston Astros in this spot. I wound up setting this total at 8.5 personally, so I'm going to wind up taking this total over. And with the Dodgers, I feel very comfortable laying what we're seeing right now. I was willing to lay up to about a minus 160 in this spot, so could be taking the Dodgers on the money line to go along with this total over. And that will wrap things up for the Baseball Betting Podcast on this wonderful Wednesday. A big thanks to our man Alex Fast with Pitcherless, the vice president over there, doing great things with just a wide variety of outlets for joining me in the last segment. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, you're able to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and tune in. you got one of two ways to be able to find questions if you have them for this podcast. First one is my Twitter timeline, at JarenScore81. Keep in mind the letters ZM. They mean does not matter. Other ways, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. Then from there, you're able to send in your questions, comments, segment ideas, what have you. Going to be coming at you guys every single day throughout the baseball season, which means coming at you guys once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.